to Romans chapter 1. We're in the midst of the power of words. We have learned together already how important it is to understand words. I listened to a scholar yesterday with my wife, a biblical scholars. There are quite a few linguistic biblical scholars out there who are challenging the way we think, and I think rightly so. And uh, the general consensus among those scholars is pretty simple. Over the last 200 years, Listen to that, the last 200 years. We have not just had a change in linguistic adjustments in our world, but we have also left behind the critical thinking what words actually mean. And boy, if that's why I have disconnected from social media a long time ago, but just emails and things, I see what I get, I have to say amen to that. If people would know what actually they say, with words they speak or write, they probably wouldn't do half of it what they do. So this is one of the reasons why I want to take biblical words and give a, a, a deep theological meaning to it. How many of you still believe you can learn something? It's important to learn some words. Today we're going to take a topic that is not that easy to understand, but uh, most of us say to ourselves, I got it. I know what he means. And it's going to be the, the word salvation. The power of salvation. In order for you to get right, right footing, I give you a Greek word and a Hebrew word that is being translated salvation or saved. Here they are. Soteria, sometimes soteria, it, uh, that's the noun in a, a masculine or feminine form. That's why you have that I or an E in there. That's the Greek word for salvation. So if somebody studies how salvation is being presented in the Bible, it's called soteriology. That's what, that's what that means. I wish we would study a little bit less and live a little bit more when it comes to soteriology. Hebrew word is yesha, where we have Yeshua from. It's the root word, Yeshua or Joshua or Jesus. Depends which word you want to use. So these are the original words which we are dealing with. The meaning of the word salvation. The Greek word, as I said, is soteria, meaning to provide, listen carefully, recovery, to rescue, to effect one's welfare. That's what the word soteria means. Okay? So provide recovery. That means, when the word means provide recovery, you cannot do it yourselves. It's being provided. You see that there? Little words that we don't want to miss. To rescue somebody who is drowning in the lake is probably not the right person to come to somebody else's rescue. You need outside help. To affect one's welfare, that's not welfare state where you get things for free. That means you are having problems in relationship with God and with other people, and that should be restored. The Hebrew root word, the Yesha, we already know the, how you pronounce it, Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, has a little tiny bit different connotation to it, and it signifies freedom for what binds or restricts or thus affects deliverance. It's a little bit deeper. So, freedom from what binds, restricts, and thus affects deliverance. This is looking at from a different angle that the effects 
what salvation would do is would remove the hindrances from you being delivered, which you and I could not do ourselves. So the word salvation is not something which we do. It's not an event in our life. Listen carefully. It's not an event. Salvation is not an event. Salvation is a person. Salvation is Jesus Christ. This is what the Western world has forgotten and therefore preaches messages that are not biblically and set nobody free. This is when you have people responding to a message of salvation and three weeks later you find them in the bar again. This is why you and I can share with somebody the good news. We're going to look at that a little later. And people say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I even said a little prayer, and they go home, and they still beat the wives half to death. And my question is, how is that possible? Well, they've never met Jesus. They met something, but not Jesus. This is why I want you to learn one thing this morning, and that is salvation is never an event where you make a decision Salvation is Jesus Christ himself. You say, well, I'm not so sure about that. Well, let me give you first John. John is the one which we know in the New Testament is the, the disciple who really loved Jesus, and Jesus loved him. He loved everybody, but somehow John had a very close relationship with Jesus. And this is what he writes in his last, second last letter. We have seen and testified. That means we have walked with him, we have talked with him, we have seen what he's all about that the Father has sent his Son to be what? The Savior of the world. The discussions we have in churches today is there one way, a hundred ways, five ways, twenty ways. How are we going to get salvation? Is eliminated once we know salvation is not an event. You need to know the person. It's that simple. So end the discussion, how many ways are there to heaven? As a matter of fact, salvation has nothing to do with heaven. That may be a shocker to you. Salvation has nothing to do with hell. That may be a shocker for you. But that's the biblical truth. Salvation has something to do with Jesus Christ. Always keep the focus on him. That's the only way that you and I can get there. There's a very limited understanding among, when I'm talking about Christians in the church, because we have been inundated with messages to every mass media possible that describes what the gospel is. And how many of you would have to say there's only one way that we can find out what the gospel is? The gospel is good news. Well, that's simply a definition of the term. That's not the content. That's simply defining what the gospel is. Good news. If you want to find out what the gospel is and how it's connected to salvation, let's go to Romans. This is a reason why the Holy Spirit used the book of Romans to bring in the Great Reformation. To recapture principles, how you and I can have a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ, which the church lost for about 1,200 years and went into rituals, believing that you and my eternity is bound up in what we do. Don't forget for a second that that attitude is still permeating most of people's minds today. 
It's a performance trap. It's if I am a Christian, then I ought to do it. Then you have a list. Depends which denomination you're attending. They all have different lists, different favorite little things. But how many of you know salvation has nothing to do with my performance, period? The church will be much better off if people will finally recognize that salvation is a person and the person itself doesn't need you and me to be busy like crazy. As a matter of fact, we many times stand in the way of what God wants to do. So here's what the Apostle Paul, let's go to Romans chapter 1. We start right from the beginning, first one. Paul, a servant of Christ, Jesus, called to be an apostle, listen, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul is laying the groundwork. He said, everything I am going to tell you about that gospel and about that Jesus is nothing new. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. That's all Paul had. He said, I'm simply telling you the meaning of it. You had the definition, but you didn't have the content. He said, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among a few... Oh, thank you. I'm glad you read your Bible. All the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Stop right there. Paul reveals to us the content of the gospel. He said, I have been called by God Almighty personally to preach the gospel. Okay? And he said, here it is. Concerning his son. That's the good news. Concerning his son. Coming from the lineage of David. Okay? According to the flesh. That means he walked not a ghost as a ghost on this planet. He walked as a human being down here on earth. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he proved it by his resurrection from the dead. That means he was dead. He points back to the cross. That's the gospel. That's the content of the gospel. So let me stop quickly for a second. You have heard it, maybe even done it. I have heard it. You want to accept Jesus? Why should I? Well, when you die, you go to heaven, not to hell. How many of you have ever heard that? That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's what I call the American gospel enterprise. That's good to fill your church, but it doesn't set anybody free. As a matter of fact, I challenge you. Go to your Bible and find me a verse in the Bible where it says that Jesus actually rescues us from hell through the gospel. I challenge you. Would you do your homework, please? And come back. Where you can find in the Bible, if you can, I'm not going to tell you. If there's anywhere in the Bible where it says when you become born again, you are saved from hell. Then you can email me. Make sure you take it from the Bible not from somewhere else. 
I want to hear, well, commentator so-and-so says, no, 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 give me the word of God. I need to have it from the word of God. Remember, there are many false gospels. Paul said there will be many false spirits preaching a false gospel. They even preach a false Jesus. And I think we in the church, we need to have our senses up exercising discernment and go back to the word. Don't take YouTube theology. Take biblical theology. Okay? Do your homework. Watching a YouTube video and listening to somebody is not giving you anything, no matter how good it is, no matter who says it. You have the obligation. Search the scriptures. I always say, if you watch YouTube video, no matter what the subject is, make sure you put the same amount of hours you watch YouTube into the Bible study. Do a contextual Bible study. Don't take it out of context. Look at the historical context. Think about a first century Jew when you read the New Testament, because that's the way the New Testament was written. Put yourselves into the shoes. Go there. It will take you hours just to dismantle what you were just listening in YouTube. Hours. Don't take it. You have an obligation. How many of you know Satan is extremely crafty? He will only get God's people away from being faithful and loyal to God Almighty by deception. It's his most powerful tool. You have an obligation. Well, for that I have you, Pastor. No, I challenge you every week to go back and stick your nose in the book. We have no problems to spend five hours or ten hours per week on TV, whatever you watch. But boy, does the battle rage when you want to open up the book. Have you ever recognized that? That's when the battle begins. There's somebody who doesn't want you to get into the book. When brothers and sisters get together to study the Word of God, you know what? You can think of a million things where you should be instead of studying the Word of God. You know what I'm talking about? Who do you think wants to take you away from the Word of God? Because in it is revealed the one who is salvation, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is going. You say, well, but Paul doesn't say that. You didn't say that. Well, let's go quickly what he sums up in, in verse 16 and 17. Remember, he just said, God has set me apart to preach that. And there's a battle raging, but he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. What is the gospel? Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. And Jesus is the power of salvation. Jesus had the audacity to say, oh yeah, there's no way to get to the Father except through me. Do you know what? In the 21st century, we discuss the possibility of other ways in the church. It's got to be a different Jesus. Cannot be the one from the Bible. It's impossible. We say, well, they just maybe, they, they haven't gotten it yet. Oh yeah, if you are with Jesus and he's your savior, you will never, ever pledge allegiance to any other way. Period. God calls that adultery. That's what he calls it. So, you got it? Good. So, how many of you have already gone to the Bible and published it on the cell phone? Okay, let's see. Uh, salvation, hell, connected. Oh, Google, Google. Uh, what, what is series? What are you talking about? Series knows nothing about salvation. Google knows nothing about salvation. 
they just put up what the preachers say from the pulpit. Well, that may not be so. What does the Bible really say what you and I are saved from? Oops. No? We all die. You all will die. Penalty of our sin. That's about one of them. Right there. Jesus is the one, the Savior, from, for you and me, who have embraced him, to take the penalty of sin away from us. Or what the Bible says, we are not anymore under the wrath of God. That's what he saved us from. Well, there's a question which we could ask ourselves. How well are you doing with sinning or less sinning? Remember, Jesus is the Savior, and as a Savior, he has taken us to a place which he calls the kingdom of light, and the power of sin should have no power over us. These are not rules and regulations. It's about power. How did he prove that he has the power? He rose from the dead. First Corinthians chapter 15, Paul lays it out in detail. He said, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, our faith is worthless. He proved that he has power and then he gave to us that power. How well are we doing? Oh, the devil made me do it. The devil can have absolutely no power over a child of God except what you give him. Let me say it again. The devil has absolutely no power over a child of God except what power you give him. The devil has absolutely no power over our final destiny in Jesus Christ. That's in the hands of the living God. We gave him way too much power. Why? We love what he offers. How many have to say? There are certain sins that are really fun to be involved in. Not a single hand goes up. Was that a false statement? Or? It hurts, doesn't it? We are going there where Satan offers us to go because we love to go there. Oh, my favorite thing is always, you can never tempt me with a tomato. Never. I don't like it. Ice cream is a different story. Neither one, by the way, engaging in is not sinning. Just want to make sure. So you get the point there, isn't it? So what really happened when Adam and Eve sinned is they broke off the relationship from the life giver. And have you ever looked around in this world? A major problem among human beings is broken relationships. Does that tell you something? It's proof it's proof that what the Bible says is true. And what does God come to do to Jesus? He restores relationship. Whoever has reestablished a relationship with God the Father, which Jesus said can only be done through him, by accepting him, by embracing him, our relationship with God is healthy and it will affect our relationship with other people. Huge bummer for American hyper-on-steroid individualism. 
I need nobody, Jesus and me. That's all I need. That's against the gospel. It's all about relationships. Ask yourself a simple question. When was the last time you got up in the morning and you had that immense desire to talk to Jesus? You couldn't, you couldn't get to work unless you first talked with him. Not a religious exercise. It's simply you know you need him. How in the world do we know where he's working when we don't talk to him? See, we got it all upside down. I have made up my mind where I'm going to work for Jesus. And I'm going, and then I tell Jesus he better shows up because I'm busy over here. Who's in charge? Why not do it the other way around, the biblical way? And we ask him where he is at work and ask him if we'll be able to join him. I guarantee you, now you're not get burned out. You don't care what people say. You don't care what they do to you because you know you are where Jesus works. You don't need to get sympathy. You don't need to put it on Facebook. You don't need to put it on social media that you're working over there. It does not matter. You go where Jesus works. And then, shut up. Be quiet. Why? Let those people who have been transformed by the power of God while Jesus did it, go and tell the world what Jesus has done for them. The rest is robbing God of his glory. It's all about me. It's my ministry. It's what I do. And guys, if you don't know, I, I put everywhere to everyone that they know where I'm working. This is not biblical salvation at work. Jesus said it this way. You travel the whole world to find disciples and make them twice as sons of hell looking straight at the religious leaders. But you refuse for them to come to me. He's talking about himself. What is Jesus after? Come to him. Come to him. He is salvation. We don't save anybody. God himself, he himself, is in constant relationship. Have you ever heard of that incredible difficult word, Trinity? It's not that difficult. I mean, I'm not saying it's simple, but I'm saying it's not that difficult. I tried to put it out for you so you understand what's going on. God is in himself in a constant, intimate relationship. It's the circle of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Here we go. This is straight from the Bible. The Son submits to the Father. Jesus said, I will do nothing unless the Father tells me to do. How many would have to say he talked first to him? He said, Father, where are you at work? I'm going. He said, I do nothing. So he submits to the Father. The Father loves to glorify the Son. Correct? And the Son is driven by the Spirit, and the Spirit reminds everybody of the Son. That's the Trinity at work. Try to make it as uncomplicated as possible. This is not too difficult to understand. How many would have to say they're in absolute unity? How many would have to say that none of them does any ego-driven activity? Everything is in full harmony and healthy relationship. That's why the Bible says they are one. Or, when a couple 
goes before God and says, we want to have a marriage relationship here. And they commit one another to absolute loyalty. The two have become... Thank you. It's not that they physically became one. They're still two individual people. But they do nothing apart from one another. And one of them is interested that the other one looks better than they themselves. You're working together in harmony. That would be the optimal picture. But we live in a world of broken relationships. Sin. And boy, we may be married, but there is a power struggle everywhere. I want to do it my way. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm holy. I'm not going to say it that way, but that's the way I do it. We have learned over the years not to talk directly to one another about who is in charge. We just manipulate. Does the father manipulate the son? Does the son be manipulated by the Holy Spirit? That's why we have the Trinity. Do you know what Adam and Eve had in the garden? A full, healthy relationship. They were a part of the Trinity, so to speak. They walked and talked with God. That's what the Bible says. They had a healthy relationship. And then once Adam and Eve decided that they are going to determine by themselves what's good and what's evil for them, the relationship got severed, just like that. So when Jesus says, follow me, he doesn't say, they're going to lead you out of hell. I'm going to lead you into all the nations by my Holy Spirit so that you can live in such a harmony among one another that the world will ask a question, how is that possible? How is it possible? The answer is pretty simple. It's not in me, but the one who lives in me does it. How many have to agree? The church is a battlefield like the world itself that ought never to be that way. Never. And quite, quite frankly, honestly, it's all about power. That's what it's all about. The question I have, and I really think a lot about this, why are we still have the audacity to go and tell the people that salvation is available when we in the church cannot even live it? It's a question. It's a question and a half. We go and preach throughout the world about salvation is at hand. You can get saved. But then we tell them, in order not to have to look in the mirror, you get saved from hell and you go to heaven. No, that's not the way the gospel is written. Go with me to John chapter 17. I need to get going here. Praise God, I have the Holy Spirit still leading because otherwise I would be at least another hour on that subject. 17 chapter, 17 verses 20 to 23. If you haven't highlighted it in your Bible, I highly recommend for you to do it. This is Jesus' last recorded prayer. It's in the upper room. It's the night before he's going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane and gets deserted, condemned, crucified. This is what he says. I do not ask for these only, he's talking to the Father about the disciples who followed him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about you and me. 
that they may all be what? Wow. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How does the world believe that Jesus is who we claim he is to be? How does the world know according to that prayer? Oneness? If you're one. Now let me make you a, a quickly aware of a statement I'm going to give you that will be extremely important for you to understand. New Age philosophy and all that garbage that's going on in the world today when it comes to religion, the buzzword is what? Oneness. They mean something entirely different than Jesus means. For them, oneness is one in all, all in one. That's, I just quoted them. What that means is that you and I are a part of the creation and that that God, which we say is out there, is also a part of the creation. We are all one. In the biblical terminology, we would say we would stand for twoism. That means everything God created is here and God is outside of creation. The two different things. What Jesus is praying is that we would finally accept God's solution for bringing us back into his family, into a healthy relationship, so we can be one because one family. Listen, oneness in the Bible is not that you all of a sudden sitting in a lotus position, hanging upside down from a tree, hum, 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 and then all of a sudden I become God. You laugh about it, that's what they teach our kindergarten in public schools today. And if your parents complain, they can take the kid away from you. Welcome to modern United States of America. We have been infiltrated with so much garbage, and the people in church don't understand what salvation is and who it is. They think we can add all the other things. There's something to it, yeah, there's, there's something to it. Now, Jesus prays. That as Jesus, how many of you know Jesus is God, and you are not? Would you agree with me? Good. Okay, wife, you can tell her husband, look at him, you're not God. You can tell. Or vice versa. Jesus praying, Father, you are in me, and I in you, and that they also be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. Listen, the glory God gives to those who come into a relationship with God Almighty, it, the reason for it is that we are one with God Almighty. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me because before the foundation of the world. One, one family. One family. So what would you say, probably the reason for salvation is not getting us out of hell, but getting us in, back into the family of God where we belong. I'm just interpret what we just read, which is not too difficult. Dallas Willard in his book, Living, Christ's, Living in Christ's Presence, he, 
He's commenting on the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. And I just take a little comment out of it. He says, it's not by accident that he, Jesus, says this, because that oneness, that community, is God's signature. He doesn't say, may they be given ability to out-argue all their foes. Or he doesn't say, may they be given the power to change the culture. That's, by the way, the buzzword today in the church. He doesn't say, may they be given really cool worship services. Trinitarian fellowship is the foundation of the existence of that which is real. Think that for a second. What does he say? The relationship restored with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is that which is real. How many of you have ever entered into a relationship only to find out it was totally fake? It had no substance. How many of you have ever had that? Broken relationships. Not here. Not here. When you and I become a family member of Jesus Christ's family, there is nothing fake about nothing. It's the real deal. We're only dealing with people who have not yet fully arrived where God wants them to be. How many of you would have to say, I am not yet complete in the image of God the way he wants me to be? How many of you have to say that? Okay. That's why we're still here. Okay. So he's keep, he's keep on working on us, and boy, do we need work. So he said, salvation is Jesus. Salvation means deliverance. Remember that? The, the Jewish people said, deliver me from my enemy. How many times did they pray that? That's salvation. Same word. Deliver me from the sickness, all these kind of things. So, let's go quickly back to our Hebrew word. Yesha, or Yeshua, or Joshua, or Jesus. It also, they have metaphorical power, these words too, in the Hebrew language. In Psalm 18, 36, we read this. You gave a white place. White place is Yesha. Yesha. You gave me a white place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. What is the psalmist saying here? To bring you and me into a spacious environment. The Hebrew dictionary is telling us this. It says, that word is normally in the Jewish culture during that time, interpreted as freedom from limitations. Interesting meaning. Freedom from limitations. How many of you have limitations? Well, I can tell you, you have limitations, at least financially. Otherwise, you will buy everything you want. The limitations, correct? This is not what the Bible talks about, limitations. It's going to talk about something entirely different. The basic meaning of that Hebrew word there in metaphorical sense is freedom from limitations, which can be translated into unlimited possibility found in the one who is salvation. Let me say it again. Unlimited possibilities found in the one who is your salvation. Think about that for a second. 
How much is Jesus limited? Oh, thank you. Took you a while. There are no limitations. This is why he did what he did when he walked on this earth. He could have sent us an email or put it on Facebook and say, I stay here with the Father. I don't want to see you guys because you're making me mad because look how you live. I can't trust you because you say something and do something else. So I'm just going to correct you by sending an email every month or give you a devotion. And I'm not coming. We would never for sure know that Jesus has no limitations. He even had the audacity to look at Pilate and said, listen, you have the limitations. If it would not be given from you from above, you would have no power over me. That's what salvation is all about. Are you ready to go with me quickly on a journey, on a biblical journey? How many of you are still ready to go? Okay. Doesn't matter if I be a little bit over. Okay. Do you know when Jesus walked this earth, the Jews actually understood that concept? They did. I can prove it to you from the Bible. I think they knew more about salvation than the Christians in the modern world do. They had a pretty good handle on it. Matthew chapter 19. There's a verse in verse 26, the verse there, which is quoted many times by us. What we mean is, okay, I, I prayed hard enough and was positively thinking hard enough, so it should be happening. Because something like this. With man this is impossible, but with God... Thank you. You know what it says. What's the connection there, the context? Would you open your Bible quickly to Matthew 19? Let's look at the context. Jesus is talking about Salvation. The story is the rich young ruler. And he says, what must I do to in inherit eternal life? He was not interested in salvation. He wanted to go to heaven. Eternal life. And then Jesus told us all the things which he believed are going to get him there. Adam. And he said, well, I've done all these things, man. It's fine. And Jesus said, you got one more problem. The riches you carry with you, you put all your effort in those riches. And you protect them. That's why you got them with you. And he said, well, I would suggest that you sell everything and then follow me. What does Jesus tell him? You are limiting yourselves to be what God wants you to be because your safety and your future is all wrapped up in that stuff. Over here. So I give you some advice, get rid of it, and you get free. Talk about a man who can see man's heart. Jesus. He knew right away what this man's problem was. He said, you have limitations. I want you to be free. Eternal life is freedom. There are no limitations. To come and serve me. Absolutely no limitations. He said, well, okay. I got it. In the book of Acts, I said, I go quickly with you to it. In the book of Acts, within a few weeks after the day of Pentecost, Peter and John go to the temple to pray. And they came by by the gate called the Gate Beautiful. 
And there's a beggar who is lame, sitting there. And we all know the story. And the beggar is asking John and Peter to give him something. And the story goes that Peter stopped. Obviously, he's under the guidance of the Holy Spirit here. He stops, he looks at the beggar and says, what you want, I don't have. I know you want gold and silver and all these kind of goodies. The man did not understand gold and silver would not have made him. Thank you. He had severe limitations. God is setting him free from his limitations. You're not going to stay all your life a beggar. Doesn't David say? Listen, God's children are not beggars. How can we go to the world and say, I served Jehovah Shireh, my provider, and I'm looking for checks from someone else? We're not beggars. That man was a beggar because he had limitations. Christians are beggars because they have limitations. They put themselves under. We don't have those limitations. Does that mean everything is going to come our way? Oh, no. I had days in our ministry where you have to pray every day that God is there in order to keep it going. Do I like those days? Yes or no? The old man, me, I hate him. But the new man inside leaps for joy when God answers. I need to know that my God is what he says he is. And how can I know if I don't depend on him? So Peter just looks at the beggar and said, the stuff you want, I don't have, but I tell you what, get up in the name of Jesus. What is Jesus? Salvation. The man had no clue what's coming. Peter goes, hey, I talked to you. Caps him by the hand. The guy leaves for joy, and the rest is history. He goes straight to the, in the temple, jumps and leaves for joy and tells everybody what happened to him. That's salvation. How many of you have to say, God removed the limitations. Now he can go to work. No begging. He showed what salvation all includes. And I, I have to put a disclaimer on there because a lot of people in the church who think, when I am a child of God, I can tell God what he has to do. If I say a prayer, he better heals. If I say a prayer, he better sends me the bank account numbers. If I pray, God has to do this. I have bad news for you. God has to do nothing because he's God and you're not. Let's, let's reverse that. God tells us what to do, not we telling him what to do. How about that? Does that sound okay? But that's when you have no limitations. Because if God doesn't give it to you, he obviously thinks what, he would, what you ask for would put you under limitations. And God wants to keep you free. Well, but if you would give me a million bucks, I would really know what to do with it. No, you don't. You don't. You ask him for the million bucks because you're struggling with money because you never knew what to do with it. Did you get that? We are the worst stewards you can imagine. We are not content. You say, well, I'm absolutely content. Just search your heart a little bit. Just a little tiny bit more, wouldn't it be better? And you know, my neighbor just got a brand new car, and I, my car is still 12 years old. God, what's going on here? How do these people believe that my God is without limitation when I got the, when I got the lemon and he's got the Cadillac? Maybe the guy who has the Cadillac has more limitations than you and I. And there's nothing wrong with having things. It's the way we look at it. We think more gives us less 
limitations. Have you ever read in the Bible? Less? Thank you. And more? It's not in the Bible. But I just, it's not in the Bible. I just tripped you. It's from a song, a Christian song. I just wanted to prove to you that are Christian songs preach if it's truth or not. We take our theologies from a lot of stuff, but not always from the Bible. Remember, little is much when God is in it. You know? Yeah, great song. But you know what? God can be in much and God can be in little. God is not limited in any way, shape, or form. That beggar had to find out that that's exactly how that works. So, well, let me give you one more. Are you ready for one more? Go with me to Exodus chapter 15. We wrap it up with that. As you look for Exodus 15, let me tell you what the big discussion was about uh, around the religious leaders, what they just heard happen when Peter let the Holy Spirit do a mighty miracle among that lame beggar. By which power and by which name did that happen? And I told you earlier that the religious leaders in those days, the Jewish people understood more about that the power is locked into the name and not into our positive thinking. They said, by which power and by which name is this man now leaping for joy? What's going on? And they were not afraid to say, the power is in the name of the person which you crucified. But, surprise, surprise, he rose. How do you like that? You guys go to jail. You can't say that around us. They understood. It's not a magical, you know, what a theologian I heard say lately, it's Christian voodoo. These two words don't go together, but he wanted to make a point that we start naming Jesus and then claiming things and just use like a voodoo person at the name of Jesus and think everything has to happen. And I always ask the people, how well does that work for you? Just think about it. Jesus saved his people out of Egypt. The angel who goes before you Make sure, Moses, that you obey him because in him is my name. Yahweh is speaking. The cloud of fire, a big pillar, and the cloud during the day is a manifestation of the Son of the living God who is salvation. How do we know? Exodus 15. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. That's after he got them out of Egypt. This is what they were singing. I will sing to the Lord, that's Yahweh, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord, that's Yahweh, is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation, Yesha. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Did you just Get that? What Moses and the Israelites are singing is the victory they experienced was God working on their behalf by setting them free 
from Egypt where they were serving other gods. And when you serve other gods, you're under severe limitations. Slavery is probably the right word. God set them free, and the Israelites all of a sudden recognized it. Let me make a final statement about that. How many of you feel today that the way you have to make a living and the way you work, you're not much better off than a slave? It's not a political statement. Any nation who forsakes God, any nation, that includes the United States of America, that forsakes God, whose God is not the Lord, Yahweh, is a nation where the people moan and groan and they are under slavery. Their freedom is greatly limited. Not because God doesn't love us, but because we have turned our back on him and think that we are more free and more, more, more when we turn our back on him and follow other gods, which are mass media and our Hollywood and our heroes all projecting to us as giving us freedom. Freedom is only found in the one who is salvation. Physically and spiritual freedom. You can be living under the great, greatest tyrannical regime in this world if you are walking with Jesus in that environment. Nobody can put you into slavery. They think so. They can put you in prison. You don't bow to the prisoner. They can take things away. You don't bow. You do not deny. The Lord Jesus is with you. That's a freedom which we need to learn once again, is only found in Jesus. Not in a past event, not in an altar call, not in something which we, like voodoo preachers, believe. Simply in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved. Because salvation is wrapped up in Jesus Christ alone. No other way. So think about it. Wherever you are, wherever your thoughts go. Jesus loved you that he actually left heaven and came down here. If you don't believe in God, you're called an atheist. That means you don't believe in God. If you call yourself an agnostic, you're simply a person who knows God exists, but you refuse to commit to him. That's the honest truth. That's an agnostic. Because the only thing the Father demands from you and me is that you come to him the way he ordained it. And that's to Jesus Christ. No other way available. The decision is yours. You have to make the decision. If you have trusted in anything else, my challenge to you this morning is to reconsider. Search the scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best documented miracle in history of humankind. It's nothing like it. Millions of people tried to refute it and in the process became followers of Jesus. He still is alive. He always will be alive. He still saves people. He still wants to set us free. Salvation is available. So wherever you are, I'm just asking you this morning, Consider it wisely. Think about it. 
I'm not gonna make an altar call. I'm just asking you to consider it. Once you're at the place where you say, I give in. I have trusted myself, so my little talk I had, but not Jesus. And if you have the question, how do I know for sure? If you are not following Jesus on a daily basis, if you don't follow him, you have all the rights in the world to question if you don't follow him. That's where we're called followers of Jesus. He is not a Sunday savior. He's 24-7. And if you and I have no desire to follow him on his footsteps and leave our old life behind, rightly question where you are. He has never given up on you. Listen, religion will not save you. Jesus will. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. The only way we can find our way back to you. We know there is a ruler of this world. While defeated at Calvary, he's still doing guerrilla warfare. Still blinded the minds of the people. But Father, I'm just asking you to let your Holy Spirit let light shine into every heart this morning. Let your light shine into hearts and minds, those who may listen, that this word is never going out without coming back with results. For the people who struggle with you, maybe questioning you, questioning maybe their walk with you, may today, Lord, once and for all, you can settle that with them because you're available. All it takes that they switch allegiance from what they have pursued and followed to leave that behind. Where there was slavery, there is freedom. Where there are taskmasters, there is freedom. May you lead them to that freedom, Lord, which is only found in Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people can say, Amen. Amen.